as we continue our study through Luke after a, a couple-week break. And we're in Luke chapter 6 and verse 46. Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49 is our passage today. And that passage can be found on page 863 if you are using a church Bible. Page 863, we are in Luke chapter 6 and verse 46. And this is Jesus' conclusion to the sermon that he has been preaching throughout this chapter. And, and let me read our text to you. Jesus says there, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house great. Would you please join me in prayer before we examine this text? Uh, Father, all of us in this room, we are all hearers of your word. And we ask that by your grace that we might be doers of your word so that we would not deceive ourselves. Please make sure that each of us here would dig deep and lay the foundation of our very lives upon the rock, that you would not merely be called Lord, Lord, but that you would actually be our Lord and our God. By the Holy Spirit, help us to be wise builders of our lives rather than foolish ones. Would you please show to us just how much everything else is sinking sand. We ask these things for your glory, O oh God, and also for our own good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jesus' conclusion to his sermon gives to us the picture of two different kinds of houses which represent two different kinds of lives. One that withstands the flood waters and another that does not. One that has for its foundation rock and another which has no foundation at all. Which forces every hearer and confronts every reader of Jesus' words to face the question, what kind of life am I really living? What kind of response to Jesus and to his word am I actually making? Because each of us is building a house, so to speak. Each of our own lives is a building, and the only question is, what kind of building is it? One that will survive, or one that will fall flat when trials and hardships, and ultimately the judgment will inevitably test us. And Jesus, throughout his sermon, has been laying out before us what a real follower of Christ looks like what a genuine disciple lives like, who it is that is a real citizen of his kingdom. And in doing so, he is now closing his message with a challenge and with an exhortation, which invites us to a little bit of self-reflection. Because Jesus wants to make sure that everyone who does hear him is not satisfied in only hearing him. 
Jesus wants to make sure that his listeners will truly have a foundation upon the rock and their lives being lived accordingly. And so we read in verse 46, Jesus is asking a very pointed question, and he asks this, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Jesus knows that there will be many people who honor him with their lips, and yet their hearts are far from him. He knows that there will be those who profess Jesus and yet do not live for and unto Jesus. That there can be this strange phenomenon that people can hear the word of God even frequently and regularly and will confess Jesus as Lord and not just the one time, but Lord, Lord, and yet still live as if he is not Lord and yet still think that they are okay. Jesus is not talking about those who have never heard a sermon or those who have never had a Bible open in their laps. Jesus is referring to the people who are familiar with him, who have listened to him, and who do treat him with a level of respect and admiration that these ones are actually the ones in the most danger, that just because you are in the crowd of followers, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are a true follower because it can be easy to get caught up in merely hearing. And in this context, it was very easy to do exactly just that. Jesus was a different kind of preacher than anyone had ever heard in their entire lives. He spoke with authority like no one else could. He healed sickness just like that, paralysis, leprosy. He even cast out demons. He proclaimed that prophecy written hundreds of years prior that that prophecy had been fulfilled in his own coming. That is about me. And people are literally astonished, Luke 4.32. They are astonished at Jesus' teaching. And so he would speak and their jaws would hang open and they would be looking at each other at what they were listening to. Jesus is unlike anyone prior to him and anyone that would come after him. And thousands would travel miles upon miles by foot just to hear these words that would come out of his mouth. And the crowds would press in on him to the point where Jesus one time had to go and preach from a boat, Luke 5, 3. Jesus is in a boat preaching just so that they wouldn't mob him. He had to create that distance so he could finish his sermon. This is nothing short of amazing. And the demographic that he drew was not isolated to a single kind of person, but the demographic of his hearers consisted of all different ages, from all different kinds of places, Judea and Jerusalem, and even further off, pagan places like Tyre and Sidon. And so country bumpkin and city folk, religious and non-religious, they came from all over just to listen to the profound words coming from the lips of the Son of God and God himself who would give himself for us. And there can be this intoxication of being at one of these mega events, an emotional excitement of being caught up into the movement and the miracles and the power and the scene and all of that buzz that people would feel that just by being there and hearing and finding themselves in the presence of such things and in the presence of Jesus, that that was enough. 
because sometimes it is that the preacher can preach and tears can even roll down your cheeks and it feels like real conviction had actually occurred and that real life change had actually taken place. It feels that way because we find ourselves part of something much bigger than ourselves and people would cry out, Jesus is Lord, Lord, because of this emotional current and this spiritual event, this hearing of profound truth, even when that truth had not been actualized in real living, which is why Jesus is asking the question the way that he asks it. Because what we say about Jesus is not enough. Even what we feel about Jesus, but how we live unto Jesus tells us way more than any of our confession ever will. And this is precisely the point that Jesus has been making prior to our verses this morning, just in the verses immediately prior, that people are as easy to read as trees. We know the type of tree by the fruit that hangs off its branches. We can trace that right back to the root. And we know the type of person by the way we live out our lives, not just by what we confess, but by what we actually do. We can trace that right back into our hearts. The outside actions tell us exactly what is on the inside of us, which flies in the face of contemporary inclusivity and even prevalent attitudes within the modern church today. You can't see my heart. You don't know what I really believe in here. You don't know how sincere my faith is. It is my faith, after all. It is my own, and no one, no one can judge it, even when sinful attitudes and actions are apparent to everyone around them. You can't question my faith. No one can. But Jesus is questioning it right here in this verse and in the context of it that what is in here is really out in the open for all to see, that the fruit of our lives tell us exactly what is at the root of our lives. And in this searching question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you, Jesus is giving all of his hearers a harsh dosage of reality that it is not enough to hear. It's not enough to confess. It's not enough to get caught up into a moment and to cry and to be emotionally moved and to have our hands swaying back and forth as some kind of repetitive chorus. What tells us more than any of that is how we live our lives when we leave. Does the word of Christ, the word of God, change everything about your Monday through Saturday? Does it actually change your goals in life? Does it change your marriage and how you love your spouse? Does it change how you want your kids to turn out and where you keep pointing them to? Does the Word of God change everything about where we invest our money and what we daydream about? Does it change about who we want to marry and our ambitions? Does the Word of God change everything ultimately about who it is that we live for? Does the Word of Christ actually change our actual lives? Because how we live is more of a determining factor of if we are a true follower and a genuine disciple and if we even are a real citizen of Christ's own kingdom. This is the most important and pressing question that we each need to answer in our lives. What do we do with the word of God? Does it sink only into our ears? And stop right there. And so Jesus gives to us two pictures of two kinds of lives, showing to us the two different kinds of hearers 
The first one is found in verse 47. We read there, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. The first picture of the first kind of hearer is one of an unshakable, unbreakable house built upon the rock. This is the image that Jesus gives to us of the one who hears and does them. Someone who digs and digs deeply until he hits that which is solid and then builds up his life in such a way that the floods and streams, even with all of their might, can slam against that building and it doesn't even shake. Because there is a way, brothers and sisters, to build our lives that makes them unshakable and that hinges upon our own obedience to Christ's word. You know, Luke, he writes these words, he records these words for us, but he actually wasn't even here listening to Jesus' sermon. Luke's not a part of this great crowd in this text. Luke gets his information from people who were there, though. And they told him these things even years after Jesus had already been crucified, resurrected, and ascended to the right hand of the Father. But the reason why Luke can record these very words so vividly is because of the ones who memorized these very words and rehearsed them in their minds again and again, chewing on them, who allowed the preaching of Jesus to penetrate their own hearts so deeply that these things became altogether unforgettable to them. And this is not what my kids like to do for Awana and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it so they can recite it before they forget it. No, Jesus' original followers not only had these things burned into their memories, but it was burned into their memories because they had actually lived them out. Now look at the very beginning of Jesus' sermon in verse 20, when Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Matthew, Levi, used to be a rich tax collector. He left a lucrative, albeit immoral career, to follow Jesus. And his personal wealth took a gigantic hit. But you know what? It was all worth it to follow him. Fishermen left fishing boats. The apostle Paul left the Pharisee life, which was big bucks and big influence, and he started to sow tents instead, which was small bucks, all to fuel his missionary lifestyle. These disciples, they did not just hear the word of Christ. They lived the word of Christ. And when Jesus says a few verses down, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil, on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy before, behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. When each of these original disciples would get persecuted and beaten and brought before accusations in the courtroom and thrown into jail and tortured and some executed, crucified, beheaded on the account of the Son of Man, how much more would these words of Jesus be ingrained into their memories and be found within woven into the very fabric of their hearts? That the Son of God and God himself, his word is true. And though I have lost it all, I have gained everything because I have Jesus, and for this I rejoice. These 
poor ones, these weeping ones, hungry and persecuted, who loved with great love even their own enemies, are the very ones who heard Jesus' words, but not in a way that was in one ear and out the other, but in a way that penetrated them so deeply as this very word had penetrated Christians across the centuries so deeply that they would reflect and meditate and trust in these words because they trust in the one who spoke them. And we feel this great sustaining comfort even when their situations were not all that comfortable. The flood and the monstrous streams would break out against their own lives and yet they would not and could not be shaken because the word of Christ did not stop at their ears but went into their very hearts and were proven by the fruit that had been produced in their actual living. And I'm sure that many of you have witnessed Christians facing hard times as well. The widow who has not lost her hope. The sick saint whose illness will not rob his joy. The mother who keeps praying for her children and serving them no matter how mundane and repetitive the weeks get. The financially strapped one who somehow trusts more in God than in money. The one whose spouse makes fun of their faith. The child who suffers from a disability and yet these battered believers have a confidence in God and a security therein that is palpable. And while there is great pain in these difficult situations, it is right next to that pain that we find this enduring confidence that the whole world is still in my Lord's hands. I'm sure that you have seen these believers with this quiet strength, not ostentatious, not look at me, but look at this rock on which my life is founded upon. Not what I will, but what you will. You can't fake that. And it doesn't come from a single moment or being at some kind of spectacular event. It comes from years and years of sitting at Jesus' feet and hearing his word and actually obeying it by putting it into practice what he says by actually believing it is how we can withstand all the trials of this life which are currently being used by God to refine us. We just sang about that. He refines his gold and he lets us know what we are really made of so that we can ultimately stand on the day of judgment as a genuine believer because of how we live our lives. The fruit shows us exactly the belief that rests within each of our very own hearts, the root of it all. One of the reasons why we like to do things like sermon discussion questions in our small groups is not to talk about the sermon per se, or talk about the preacher, and this is what I liked, and this is what I didn't like. But we discuss the sermon to make sure that we are not merely and only hearing, but we get to talk about how this text intersects with our living, that we can come alongside of other believers and think and chew and dig deeply together so that we would be a church that both hears and does so that more and more our lives will be built upon the foundation of the immovable rock and that we might be on solid ground when things do inevitably come our way and test us. If any of you guys have tried to dig anything, whether you're building a fence or putting in a new mailbox or digging up the roots of the tree, it's not easy work. Even when you're just trying to dig something that deep, it takes great pains. And to have great hope, 
and a deep and genuine belief. It also takes great pains. Brothers and sisters, the picture that Jesus gives to us in our text is not one of leisure or passivity, but one of deep work and discipline and never give upness and effort and blood and sweat and tears, but it is all worth it. Because when we dig this deeply, we become immovable because we are founded upon Christ and upon his word, which is immovable. And so Jesus, firstly, gives to us this beautiful picture of a solid house built on solid ground, illustrating the person who hears the word of Christ and obeys the word of Christ. But this is not how Jesus ultimately concludes his sermon. He gives to us another image, which is not as beautiful. And yet this tragic picture is the one that is supposed to hang in our minds as the closing one, verse 49. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. While there will be people who do dig deep and chew and meditate and apply, and therefore more and more live the word of Christ, and be immovable and unshakable in times of trial and suffering and in the coming day of judgment. There will also be people who hear the same profound words coming from the very lips of the Son of God and God himself. And their result is entirely different. But you can't tell right away. Just like you can't tell one house's foundation from another house's foundation on first glance. Because you can't see what's underneath. In the house with no foundation, in the house built on the rock, they might look exactly the same superficially. And likewise, there will be people who close their eyes when they sing and have tears roll down their face at the preaching of God's word and who never skip a Sunday. And it seems on first glance that these buildings are exactly the same until it is that that house and that life gets tested. And when the buzz is over and the emotional high fades away, and the crowds start to dwindle, which they did during Jesus' ministry. And the authorities start to persecute. And the social cost of following the Son of God is just frankly too much for me to pay. That following Jesus is just not all that cool anymore for me. And it doesn't give me, it doesn't make any practical sense for what I'm trying to accomplish in my life because the benefit that I used to derive, it's all diminishing. And then hardships arrive. A relationship fails. A betrayal occurs. The money that used to come in is not coming in like it used to. The body becomes weak at a point, an illness, a midlife crisis. My best years were yesteryears. The same kind of storm tries both kinds of houses. But when the streams and flood hit that life, it all comes crumbling down because there was never any true faith underneath the surface. And there was no real hope because the words of Jesus were only heard and never believed enough to actually live. And more than any temporary trial, it will be the coming flood of judgment which shows instantaneously that this house and this life, it never did have any footing. This person only heard. This person only cried. This person only called Jesus Lord, Lord, and yet he never really was their Lord and God because they never really changed in any substantial way 
They merely listened, but they did not actually do. And this one who used to look exactly like the house built upon rock from the ground up is shown to have no foundation at all. And Jesus says here that this kind of house and this kind of person immediately it fell. Immediately. This kind of life doesn't even put up a good fight. And in the coming and in the near future, these thousands of people who used to follow Jesus, these people from all walks of life and all different kinds of places who were jaw-dropped, astonished, and staring at each other because they had never seen or heard anything like this Son of God and the words that would come out of his mouth in just a few short years, there would just be a few handfuls left. And I'm sure it is that in each of our own lives we've seen the same phenomenon over the years. A house that looks so good for a short window of time. People so hyped on Jesus initially, smiling at the thought of God's love, forgiveness, even crying tears of joy and walking down whatever aisle and repeating whatever prayer you want them to repeat. Some even joining a church, maybe even volunteering here and there, singing loudly for all to hear, looking and acting like a genuine Christian, and yet their lives went put under the magnifying glass. They didn't really change because they didn't honestly repent. And the same sins and the same vices, they coddle instead of confess. And they never really do leave them behind. They don't chew on the word of God or have that word really change them. They didn't prayerfully discuss it with brothers and sisters to keep them accountable. What you see on the surface is all there is. There is no private devotion no secret prayer, no hidden meditative contemplation. Hours spent in his word, but they think that they are still really Christians because of what I know up here and what I have heard, which gives to them this false sense of security, even when there never really was any true and deep change. This one never stands. This one never endures. This one falls flat immediately when the going gets tough. This house and this life cannot withstand the trials of this life, and this house and this life will be swept away in the flood of judgment, and the tragedy is such that it will never be built up again, nor is there another chance for it to be. And the very last and final phrase, the last and final words of Jesus' entire sermon are thus, and the ruin of that house was great. Brothers and sisters, this is the difference between heaven and hell. This is the latter outcome of these two ways to live. And there are only two ways to live, in obedience or in disobedience. You ever see on the news when a family loses their home in some kind of catastrophic event, a flood or a fire, and, and everything they have built and lived and put in there is gone in a moment. You see this weeping and tragedy of, of losing it all just like that. Jesus isn't talking about houses. He is very concerned about your very soul, which is why he closes his sermon with such heavy words and this picture of great tragedy. Now, why does Jesus, why, why does he put the good house as a first picture and then put the second house as a conclusion? 
Wouldn't it be so much encouraging, more encouraging if he flipped the order? Let me show you some bad news. But we're going to end on some good news to round it up. Why end like this? Why do this at the height of his popularity? Isn't he going to alienate these crowds by being so serious and weighty? Why have, as the last phrase of his most well-attended sermon, be, and the ruin of that house was great? It is because Jesus wants this last image and this last picture to be the one thing to hang in every hearer's mind. The Son of God is going to give himself for his people. He's going to die for their sins so that we might be forgiven. But he wants this tragedy to be burned into us so that this tragedy will never be any of us. The conclusion to Jesus' sermon is ultimately a warning to the crowds, and it is ultimately a warning to us of listening and hearing message after message and yet not living its truth outward and yet still thinking we are fine. And that we're spiritually okay because we're in the right crowd. And we've heard some really great things. And we know some stuff and sing some songs and weep some tears and cry out, Lord, Lord, even though we regularly do not do what he says. Is there anything in your life right now that you just refuse to obey? Don't make that a habit. Is there anything in your life right now that you're just used to because it's, that's just how it's always going to be? Is there anything in your life that you just do not want to submit to Jesus' lordship? Perhaps it's a difficult person, an enemy even, that you refuse to love, which shows that you might not understand Jesus' love for his own enemies. Maybe it's a social discomfort that you refuse to endure because you'd rather just keep your faith a secret. You're embarrassed of Jesus. Maybe it is when you read the, the difference at the start of this sermon that you'd rather be rich than poor more than anything else. I don't want to hunger. I want to laugh now. I don't want to weep. I want to eat and be full now. I don't want to be hated. I want a good reputation now. I want the world's arms open to me. I need that instant gratification now. Are those the things you meditate on and chew on? More than the blessed person at the opening of this sermon, where are you digging your foundation? What kind of life are you living? Jesus is confronting each of these people in the crowd, and Jesus is confronting you right now. What kind of response to him and to his words are you going to make? Because each of us is building a house, and it is only one kind that survives. And there's only one kind that is unshakable. As we close this sermon, let me read to you what Charles Spurgeon writes about this text. He says, follow the text and learn to see to your sincerity. Be afraid to say a word more than you feel. Never permit yourself to speak as if you had an experience of which you have only read. Let not your outward worship Go a step beyond the inward emotion of your soul. If Christ be truly your Lord, you will obey him. If he be not your Lord, do not call him so. And so there are two ways to build our lives. 
And let us not, brothers and sisters, be the foolish kind. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for how direct your word can be. It's like Jesus knew, even in issuing this warning, that few people would heed this warning. And I pray, God, that that wouldn't be any of us. Would you remove any false confidence we have? Any misplaced assurance would you demolish? You know, so, so often it is, we just want to be nice and hopeful and that the people we know who used to be into you, that they're still somehow safe. Or if we were into you before and not anymore, we just want to hope that we're safe. Even if we don't really obey, Father, please don't let us find any comfort in any of that. Make all of us here who are hearers of your word by your grace, make us doers of it, that each of us would dig deep and lay the foundation of our very own lives upon Jesus Christ, our rock, that you would not be merely given the title Lord, Lord, but that you would actually be forever our Lord and our God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.